right, well, good evening. My name is Andrew Anderson, and I am the associate pastor here at the Church of Pecan Creek, and uh, Trey is uh, currently down in Florida uh, doing some uh, progress towards his doctoral studies, and while he's down there, he's uh, getting in a little bit of R&R with the family, just talked to him earlier, and uh, they're at the beach today, so... They're, they're getting some uh, much-deserved downtime, and uh, I'm, I'm sure they appreciate that. And uh, here we're just going to continue on where he left off in, in the series God and Grace, uh, going through the book of Ephesians. And so tonight we're going to talk about change. Do you believe that people can truly change for the better? Here recently, Cleveland Browns quarterback Johnny Manziel finished up a stint in rehab, And when the media asked Manziel how rehab went, he replied, Rehab was great. I'm a changed man. Is he really a changed man? Well, time will tell. We would be right to be skeptical because we all know that true and lasting change is very difficult. Certainly, we've all seen plenty of examples of celebrity who have gone through a successful rehab only to revert back to their formal ways a short time later. And we also know from our own experience that change is difficult and may feel impossible at times. Is there a way to true and lasting change? There is, and that is exactly what we'll be looking tonight here in Ephesians 4 as we continue our series, God and Grace, uh, through the book of Ephesians. And so we will be in Ephesians 4, starting with verse 17, and we will finish out the chapter here tonight. So go ahead and turn there, and we will begin. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no correcting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that you've given us another opportunity to, to worship and to hear instruction from your word today here in freedom. Lord, we don't want to take that for granted. And so we, we cherish that for as long as we have it, and may we make the most of this time. Lord, we, we know that you are 
immutable. You do not change, but we're sinful people, and, and we're in need of change. We need to become more like you, Lord. And so, Father, help us here tonight as we hear from your word how we can be created into the likeness of you as we were meant to be. Help us do that here tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as I go through this text, uh, there are three headings I would like to draw your attention to that will walk us through the way to true and lasting change. Uh, First, recognize that a hard heart is the problem and Jesus is the solution. We'll be talking about that in verses 17 through 21. Secondly, do away with your old life and nurture your new life with God's word. That's verses 22 through 24. And finally, remove destructive habits and replace with spiritual practices. That's verses 25 through 32. So now let's begin here at verse 17, and we'll go through uh, verse by verse through uh, 21 for this first heading here, where we'll understand and recognize that a hard heart is the problem and Jesus is the solution. And so here in verse 17, Paul picks up, still uh, writing to the, the believers that are in Ephesus, who have been saved by grace, and he reminds them that they've been called to a new way of life, one that is to be remarkably different from the world. And in verse 17, he gives us this reminder, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now remember here in the New Testament times, there were the the Jews who were set apart as God's people, and everyone else out there who was a non-Jew was referred to as a Gentile. And so sometimes when the Jews would talk about Gentiles, it was not just a, a way to distinguish from themselves, but it was a way to talk about people of the world, those, all those other people out there that live differently uh, than we do. So uh, in this same way, here, here today as believers in Jesus Christ who have been saved by grace through faith— We are a people who are set apart by God. We're his children. And those who have not been saved by grace that are out there living as the world lives, you could, if you will, refer to them as Gentiles, but simply they're the people who are not of God. They're still veering away from the path of truth. And Paul says that believers are not to be like them. Why? Well, take a look at how he characterizes unbelievers in verses 18 and 19. He says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So first you see here in verse 18 that the believers are darkened in their understanding. So what that refers to is that uh, unbelievers don't see the world rightly. They don't have a true understanding of reality, and they don't have a true picture of who God is. It says that they're alienated uh, from the life of God. Why? Because of ignorance. That word there for ignorance is agnoia, and it's from the root of that word that we get the English word agnostic. And sometimes you hear uh, people who talk about themselves as agnostic, and they kind of paint a picture of, well, I'm, I'm a person who, uh, I'm not necessarily against the idea of God, and I'd be willing to believe in a God if he simply give me some kind of evidence that, that he exists. And so they want, like to differentiate themselves from atheists who are against the idea of God altogether. But we need to recognize that biblically, 
there is no distinction between an atheist and and an agnostic. As much as an agnostic may like to think that they're on neutral ground with God, there's no such thing. Either we are one of his children, saved by grace, or we're an enemy, in which case would be one who has been alienated from him due to this ignorance. And so where does this ignorance of unbelievers stem from? We're told here at the end of verse 18, it's due to their hardness of heart. And so what, what does that mean? Well, Paul goes on to explain here in, in verse 19, he, he says that they become callous. Uh, think of that description here for a moment, callous. Uh, our guitar players that were up here leading worship here for us this evening can tell you that they have calloused fingers from the repeated activity of pressing their, the strings down onto the fretboard. And so by that repeated activity, their, their fingertips have become harder and harder, And no doubt when they first started playing guitar, pressing down those strings probably would have been really uncomfortable, if not painful. But over time, from that repeated activity, their fingertips became firmer and harder and harder until eventually they don't really feel it at all anymore. And so if you're a guitar player, being calloused is a good thing. However, to be calloused in reference uh, to, to your spiritual life is a horrible condition to be in. And uh, the reason for that is because what, what to be calloused in heart refers to is it has to do with when unbelievers get into a pattern of sin and they just keep sinning and keep sinning and keep sinning with no repentance in there, without a desire to seek the forgiveness of sins that can only come from God, what happens is their heart gets hard, it gets calloused to where they're not spiritually sensitive anymore. They can't discern who God is. And a result of that, what happens when their heart becomes hard and calloused? They continue to sin even more and more and more. And we see that here in verse 19. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So the problem with a hard and calloused heart is that uh, people give themselves over to sin. And they just continue to sin more and more and just continue on this descent into a life of sin. So the core of all this is a hard heart. And any sin that you may see visible in the life of a person is really just a consequence of that. And I think that's really important to remember as believers, because here's the thing. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're growing in grace, something is inevitably going to happen. And what's going to happen is you're going to look at the life of unbelievers that are in your midst And over time, as you grow in grace and you're you're becoming sanctified and becoming more righteous and holy in your living, you're going to look at the lifestyle of the world and you're going to be repulsed by it. You're going to say, oh, I can't stand to be around that. And in a sense, that's a good thing because as believers, we want to be set apart from the world. We want to be different. We want to desire to live differently. But at the same time, it can be a problem in that we may look at unbelievers that the Lord has put in our life, and we may want to try and fix them. Because after all, if we can just kind of give them a little bit of moral instruction and kind of clean them up a little bit, they can be more palatable to be around, right? But the problem is, is if we just seek on changing their behavior without getting to the root of the problem, which is a hardness of heart— then there's not going to be any true genuine change. There's going to be no salvation. There's a Christian lady with an amazing testimony by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. And Rosaria was a college professor 
living in a homosexual relationship when a pastor befriended her and introduced her to Jesus. Eventually, Rosaria started to read the Bible with the intent to disprove its claims. Only then that the word of God spoke to her and she was saved. She put her faith in Christ. And in her new memoir entitled Openness Unhindered, Further Thoughts on an Unlikely Convert on Sexual Identity and Union with Christ. She's a real smart lady, college professor. That's why she's got a really uh, long title there. But in in this uh, memoir of hers, she reflects on the difference of her life now versus uh, before in her former way of living before she was a Christian. And she says this, quote, My new affection was not heterosexuality, but Jesus. I was converted not out of homosexuality, but out of unbelief. Notice how she recognizes there in that statement what, that, what her fundamental problem was. It was not her sin of homosexuality or any other particular sin that was in her life, but the root of the problem was unbelief. That ignorance of God that came from her calloused, unbelieving heart that alienated her from the one true God. Now, suppose for a moment uh, what would have happened if that, uh, if that pastor who had witnessed to her and was showing her Jesus didn't understand the root problem that was going on in Rosaria. Suppose he looked at her life and looked, looked at her, her homosexual lifestyle and being repulsed by that said, oh, you know, I, I need to fix that. I, I can't handle that. So he would tell her, okay, the problem is, is the way you're living, you can't be in a homosexual relationship. What you need to do is you need to put that away. You need to find you a man to marry, marry him, and be faithful to him alone. Let's suppose she had done that. Not saying she could have, okay? But let's just suppose for the sake of argument that that's what she did. Would she have been any less lost than she was previously? No, absolutely not. In fact, you could almost argue that her condition would have been worse than it was before because now after having done that, she would have been in a place to be self-righteous. She could have said, oh, see, I was living this way. I changed my ways. I'm now living this way, and uh, I'm good. I, I fixed myself. I have no need for a savior. Um, but that's not what happened. Uh, thankfully, this, this pastor uh, pointed her to Jesus, and, and she was changed through the w- reading of the Word of God, and she became truly saved. And that's why she was able to understand her former condition correctly, and that she could now say, my new affection was not heterosexuality, but Jesus. To be clear, she, she is married, to, to a man now, but that came out of her new life in Christ, not the, not the other way around. So it's important to understand what, what the root problem is of all people and to realize that only Jesus can save us from our hard heart. And taking that hard heart and giving us a new one that is spiritually perspe- perceptive to the things of God is exactly what the prophet Ezekiel foretold that God would do in Christ. And that uh, It says in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, there the prophet said, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules." So only Jesus can save us from our hard heart and give us a new heart so that we can live according to God's way rather than the way of this world. 
See verses 20 and 21 there in Ephesians 4. It says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So the hard heart is the problem, and Jesus is the answer. Now, Paul says something interesting here. Notice he says, assuming that you heard about him and were taught uh, this Jesus. It's kind of an interesting statement because here Paul is writing a letter to a church. He's writing to the believers here in Ephesus, and he says, assuming you've heard about this Jesus. And why is that? Well, there's a couple different ways that could be understood and taken, but what I think is going on here is Paul simply not making any assumptions. Uh, you know, I can tell you, I've, I've been uh, serving in, in ministry for a number of years, and I'll be honest that I have been guilty of making assumptions. There have been people that, that I've worked with in ministry who uh, have, have been in my small group Bible studies, who I've even done one-on-one discipleship with, who I could have sworn were genuine believers on Christ, on fire for the Lord, genuinely saved, and then only for later for them to fall away, and for their life, uh, even to this day, to look nothing like what it means to be a genuine believer. And so, um, you know, because of that, I've, I've seen that many times. I don't, I don't make assumptions. And so I may look out here at all of you, and I could assume that all of you are believers who have put your faith in, in Christ. And on the one hand, that, that might be a pretty safe assumption. After all, it's a Sunday evening. There are certainly other things that you could be doing with your time other, other than be here. But ultimately, I, I don't know why you're here. Um, I hope it, that you're here because you are a believer in Christ and that you desire to, to worship God in the community of believers and to have that time of fellowship that can be found with fellow believers. I hope that's why you're here, but maybe that's not. Uh, maybe you're here because church has become something of a, of a habit for you. Uh, just something you've always done and it feels comfortable for you. Maybe you're here to appease the expectations of someone else that, that wants you here. Uh, maybe you're here because you think that coming to church will give you just the right dose of religion to put your check in the block and you can then uh, leave here and live however you want for the rest of the week. I, I don't know. Perhaps you could look at it any and all of these ways and maybe you've learned how to manage and discipline your life such that you can cover up your, your sinful lifestyle really well and to where the point that fellow church members, pastors, nobody would be none the wiser. They just assume that you're a genuine believer in Christ. And so that, that might be the case, but you need to understand that one day you'll stand before a holy and righteous God and uh, he will not be fooled. And he will be able to cut straight through the facade and he'll be able to see that calloused, unbelieving heart. Uh, this last weekend in our family worship at home, we came uh, across a, a great verse in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. It's a great verse because it really testifies to a couple of different attributes of God, both his omnipresence, meaning he's everywhere. There's no, there's no space or time that is outside his presence and also his omniscience in that God knows everything. There's absolutely no knowledge that escapes him, and so he sees everything, both good and bad, and that includes the condition of everyone's heart. So let me ask you a question. Do you still have a hard heart living in a pattern of sin? Now, you haven't yet passed on to this 
from this life yet where you're having to stand before God and giving an account uh, for your unbelief. But instead, you're, you're here now. You're still alive. And when we're still alive, what God offers to us is he offers to us the forgiveness of sins. That God loved the world in such a way that he gave his son, who was of his very nature, and he came to earth to be born of a virgin. And he lived a life that was in perfect obedience to God's law. And he was able to live a life without committing a single sin, and he was able to do that because he was in his very nature God. Uh, But at the same time, even, even though he was God, he also had a full and human body. And as a human, he was able to stand as a perfect representative and substitute for us as the sinful man. He was given up to suffer and die on a Roman cross so that your pe- the penalty for your sin could be paid. However, in order for you to receive the benefit for the forgiveness of sins, you must repent. And repent means to, to change your mind in regards to your sin. You must recognize that you, you have a heart that's hard and calloused and you're constantly inclined towards sinning and that you need someone to rescue you from that condition and that Jesus Christ is the only one who can do that. And this same Jesus, who was raised from the dead after being in a tomb for three days, Uh, appeared before many of his followers, and then he ascended into heaven, where he sits as king and waits for the time when he will return to earth, and he will judge all of mankind. And again, when he comes to earth to judge all of mankind, there are going to be no neutral parties. Either you're going to be one of his children, in which case you get to dwell forever with him in eternal life, or you are one of his enemies that is separate from him, and are destined for eternal punishment. So if you have not repented in Christ and put your faith in him to save you, I encourage you to do that today. So if we're to be on the way to true and lasting change, we must first recognize that a hard heart is the problem and Jesus is the solution. Once we know that we have this new life in Christ, what are we to do? Well, that brings us to the point of verses 22 through 24, and that's we need to do away with the old life and nurture your new life with God's word. Take a look at uh, verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now you may find yourself sitting here saying, wait a minute. Okay, I thought I was a Christian. And the problem is, I, there are times that I really have a desire to sin and I take a pleasure in sinning. Is there something wrong with me? Yes, absolutely, there's something wrong with all of us. We're all that way, okay? And the reason for that is because it would be great if when God saves us through, through his grace, that uh, our old nature is just completely annihilated and we wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. We would no longer have a, a desire to sin and, and take pleasure in sinning. But unfortunately, that is not the case. That old nature is still there in us. But what we need to do is we need to put that life behind us and recognize that the desires that come from that are deceitful. Okay, they're deceitful because they try and trick us to live according to the way of the world, but we need to understand that that is not a good way for us to live as believers, and if we follow those deceitful desires, it will only end in misery and death for us. So what are we to do about this? We'll take a look at verse 23. It says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And so what needs to happen in order to put off this old life is that 
our mind, the spirit in our mind needs to be made new. And the the means that God has ordained for this to happen in us is that the Holy Spirit is in us applying the truth of God's word to our minds. And this is why staying in God's word is so incredibly important. Remember, simple behavior modification isn't going to do because it's, it's a heart issue, right? And so we need God's word regularly. And so a way to do this certainly is we need to be in places where God's word is, is proclaimed and where it's taught uh, regularly. And here at the Church of Pecan Creek, we prefer verse-by-verse exposition through books of the Bible, like we're currently doing here in the book of Ephesians. And the reason why we like to do this is because it ensures, as, as pastors, that we are proclaiming God's word, and that we're not simply just thinking up ideas and just trying to justify them with bits and pieces of the Bible, uh, no matter how spiritual or logical that they sound. We want to make sure that we are proclaiming the truth of God because it's only God's word that has the ability to renew the mind. But, but let's not stop there with listening to uh, biblical teaching and preaching, although that's important. It's important that we need to read God's word every day as well. And so I encourage you, if you don't already do so, to develop a personal discipline of reading God's word uh, every single day. Uh, don't, don't look at this as legalism, but as a healthy habit. Uh, for instance, nobody has to tell you to eat every day. Uh, you do it because you, you crave it, and you know that it's, it's good for you, right? You also probably brush your teeth and shower because it's good for you. And you may also uh, exercise, perhaps, each day because you know that that's good for you as well. And so in the same way, we ought to have a daily diet of reading the Word of God because we know that it's good for us. And so as we listen to God's Word preached and taught, and as we read it every day, what the Holy Spirit does is He applies that truth to our minds, and that changes the way we think. It changes the, the way we think such that the standard of truth and beauty and the, the right way to see reality in the world is now conformed to God's standard rather than with the world's standard. And so in time, this new thinking then translates to new behavior and ultimately into a new life that is more Christ-like. Uh, see there in verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so the, the way of lasting transformation is that we need to recognize that a hard heart is the problem and Jesus is the solution. And we need to allow God's word to nurture our new nature while we put off the old nature. And as our mind is renewed, what's going to happen is that that, that transformed thinking is going to translate into transformed way of, of living. And so that brings us here to uh, the third heading, is that we are to remove destructive habits and replace with spiritual practices here in verses 25 through 32. And so what follows here is uh, Paul is going to address a number of things that uh, relate to the old nature of, of living and how we are to do away with these specific things and then take on these new practices that are more Christ-like behaviors. So look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
Okay, so we, we all probably know that the former life in us desires to lie. And if we're to stop lying, it's not enough just to say to stop lying. That, that in itself is ineffective. What we need to do is we need to replace that, the practice of lying with the practice of speaking the truth. And here the emphasis on truth is among the body of believers, the church. Lies divide and they breed distrust, but the truth brings unity. And as a church, we want to be a unified body. And one of the ways we need to do that is we need to be truthful to each other. And so this is a much higher standard than the world has. Now, the world will say that they value truth, but the fact of the matter is they they only value truth to a point, uh, to the point that it no longer ruffles anyone's feathers. And so as as a church, though, speaking the truth in, in love is at times going to be painful. It may result in us sometimes hearing things that we really don't want to hear and we would rather just sweep under the rug and not deal with. However, we should strive for speaking the truth in love because that is what will build up unity among us as believers as one church. Okay, verses 26 and 27. It says, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What I w- would like for you to take notice of here, notice that uh, Paul does not, does not command to not be angry. Actually, it's just the opposite. That verb there for be angry, it's an imperative. And so Paul's actually, in a sense, commanding be angry. Uh, this is in, in stark contrast to a view of, of a lot of believers. There are a lot of Christians out there who think that living as a Christian means that you have to be continually happy and in a constant state of bliss, but that's, that's simply not true. There are times where being angry is appropriate. Uh, getting angry is a part of being one of God's image bearers because, you know, something, God gets angry. Uh, The Son of God, Jesus Christ, gets angry. And in fact, we know one account where he got so angry, he started flipping over tables and whipping people in the temple. And so we we should be angry at times. It's appropriate for us to be angry. But how we're to be different from the world is that we're not to sin in our anger. Anger is a part of being human. And we need to understand that anger puts us in a vulnerable state where we are susceptible to fall into sin. And so when we get angry, what we should do with that is we should then turn our cares and our concerns over to the Lord and, uh, and let him give his peace to us so that we don't continue in our anger. And that's why Paul tells us not to let the sun go down in our anger. If we're still angry today over something that has happened yesterday, it's probably gone on too long and we're likely sinning in our anger. So if, if, if you're angry and you find yourself angry, Uh, Bring your concerns to the Lord and let him give you his peace. Uh, Verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay, so for those who have had a habit of stealing as a part of their former life, the antidote to that is to put them to work. Uh, so that they can learn the value of hard work and so that they can learn to take care of themselves and their own needs. But notice there that Paul doesn't stop there. He takes it a step further in that he says that there's also value in working hard in that you're able to not only provide for the needs of yourself, but also to share with others who are in need. Now, maybe your former former life didn't include uh, being a thief, 
But we need to remember that, like all other sins, stealing is merely a consequence of the condition of the heart. And what it is in this case is it's the, it's, is it's the consequence of a covetous heart. A covetous person desires from others what they do not have, and so they steal. And so maybe you're, you're not tempted to steal so much anymore, but I'd be willing to bet a lot of us still struggle with covetousness that's in us. And the way to combat covetousness is through giving. As believers, I, I recommend to, to all of us that as we uh, do our monthly budget planning, as, as we allocate our expenses from the money that we make, and that certainly we take care of our own household, that we're diligent to, to pay for our expenses routinely, and that certainly we, we tithe to the church and to God's work. But I also recommend that after you've done that, you set aside, uh, uh, allocate some money where you can devote that to meeting the needs of others. And however you want to do it, if you want to find an organization or, or a person or a family that you know of a need and, and you want to address that, or if you just want to just kind of keep it available, if, if God someone uh, puts put someone your way providentially that, that has a need and you can help meet that need, that's, that's some, a way you could do it. But uh, it's, it's a great practice because what it does is, is being a generous giver uh, really combats our, our desire to be envious and, and jealous of what others have. Because what it does is it shifts our focus from what others have and I want, and it shifts that focus to others who are less fortunate, who have needs. And then we say, okay, I can meet that need. And then we get to experience the joy of meeting the need of another. And then in the process, we also realize how blessed we are and how God is really provided for us. And so if, if you struggle with coveting others, then work on becoming a generous giver. Okay, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So corrupting talk, whether it be a harsh words towards others or, or cursing or boasting in the self, should be put away and then replaced with words that encourage. I think all of you would probably agree that have been in the Christian life for a while that living as a Christian is hard, and oftentimes it, it feels lonely. And uh, you know, when when we're trying to go against the tide of the way the world is living, and so one of the things that's really helpful is for us as believers here in the church to encourage one another. And so, speaking words of encouragement is a great way to redeem our speech from the previous way that we may have lived. In which case, we we probably would have used speech that was more harmful and divisive. Uh, verse 30, um, because we're members of one body, yet again, going back there to the, uh, oops, sorry, uh, verse 30, okay, and uh, skipped ahead to a chapter there. Verse 30 in chapter 4, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, did you know that it's possible to, to grieve God? And when we live in a way that it's not in keeping with our new redeemed nature, and instead we fall back into a pattern of, of sin, that's, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit that's in us, who is, is God, okay, he's not just an impersonal force or, or, or something like that. He is one of the persons of God. And we believe in the Trinity that God is one substance and one nature, but is composed of three persons that share that same nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, is the, 
uh, the Godhead that is in us, and when we don't live in a way that's consistent with this new calling that we have as Christians, uh, the Holy Spirit, God, actually grieves. And so uh, we're reminded here that the Holy Spirit has sealed us for the day of redemption. And so that day of redemption is referred to that future day when Christ will return. And when he does return, we will then be transformed as, as believers into new bodies that are, that are Christ-like, that are, that are fully human, but at the same time that are without uh, any stain of sin whatsoever. At that point, the old nature will be gone. And so the Holy Spirit in us now is, is a reminder of that promise. It's, it's a testimony to us that we have that hope that's coming, that this, this struggle that we have with that sin and with that nature that is in us is only temporary. One day it will be gone. And so let that be a motivator for you to, to pursue and to move forward in righteous and holy living, knowing that that pleases God and you're not grieving the Holy Spirit by, by the way that you live. Okay, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So here again, we're told to put away things like bitterness, wrath, and anger. Now we talked about anger, right? We mentioned that anger is at times appropriate. It, it can be a good and healthy thing, but once uh, we, we've been angry and we dealt with it, we, we've uh, given our cares and concerns over to God, we're to put that away for us because if we can uh, continue in it, it's more than likely going to cause us to, to fall into sin in that anger. And so instead, we're to replace those uh, vices with being tenderhearted and with practicing forgiveness. And so a, a lot of people struggle with, with bitterness and with unforgiveness. And so the, the way that we, we do better and find a way to let go of that bitterness and to forgive is we need to look to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the, is the standard of forgiveness. Uh, when, when we realize that the mountain of debt that we have in, in our sin before God and how God through Christ completely waived and, and paid for that debt for us. When, when we really dwell on that and understand that and appreciate that, what begins to happen then is we look at others around us who, who may have harmed us or who may be indebted to us. And, and then what happens is that, that look that starts to really pale in comparison to the, to the debt that God has relieved uh, for us. And so, you see, true and lasting change can only be found in Christ. Only Christ can raise us from a state of spiritual death to life, delivering us from our hard hearts. He is the answer. Only through Christ, who is the word of God, can our minds be made new so that the old nature is being phased out by his new creative work that he is doing in us. And only by looking to Christ, who is our source of truth patience, generosity, kindness, and forgiveness, can our practices conform more and more to the new creation that he, that he is achieving in us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you that uh, from your word we, we can look at this and know that you do have a plan for us to, to change, and we, we don't have to be concerned ultimately that it'll, it'll only be a temporary change even though I know sometimes in our struggle with that old nature, we're, it's, it's a fight and it's a battle, and there will be times that we stumble. But Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for us 
and, and for your Holy Spirit that you've given to us, that we know that ultimately, if, if we stay in you and look to you, we will be victorious. And so, Father, help us to realize, not only in us but in others, that, our heart, that a hard heart is the problem, and that you, Jesus, alone are the solution to that problem. Lord, help us to desire and to crave your word, that, that we would desire it even more than food, knowing that it is our spiritual food, and that if we continue it in it daily, you will transform the spirit of our minds, and that we'll continue to be renewed more and more into the likeness of your Son. And Father, by the power of your Spirit and your Word uh, that's working in us, uh, changing our thinking, Lord, help us to put off the old behaviors, the old practices that aren't healthy, that relate to the old nature, and, uh, and help us, by your strength, to develop new habits that, uh, will, that will please you, Lord, with the way that we live. And Lord, as, as a church, we ask that we, uh, we ask you that you help us hold each other accountable to, to just do that, um, to encourage one another as we go through this life together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.